Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Jordan Metterick, founder of Drop Funnels. And if you want to level up your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Jordan Metterick. Jordo is the founder of one of the fastest growing marketing platforms online today, Drop Funnels. Garnering attention from top entrepreneurs and marketers online, Drop Funnels is the world's first and only tech free platform to easily build your entire website, blog, sales funnels, SEO powered blog, courses, and more all built on the world's most powerful and fast infrastructure, WordPress. Jordan is passionate about innovative and disruptive advertising tools and strategies, building company cultures, and investing and innovating on the future of marketing. He always brings humor, insight, and tremendous value to every interview and speaking opportunity. And he's also an award-winning filmmaker with his content seen on Netflix, Amazon Prime, NBC, CBS, ABC, and much, much more. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation that I get to have with Jordo talk all things marketing and drop funnels and all that good stuff. But first, really quickly, 
if you are an entrepreneur yourself, six, seven figure entrepreneur, and you've always wondered what it would be like to start a podcast and you know the benefits and you know that it could bring so much more credibility and recognition and authority to what you've got going on in your business, but you haven't pulled the trigger yet, then head on over to travischapelcom slash coaching. There is a quick application there to apply for one of our private coaching programs. And uh, we've had so many people that have come through this and seen so much success in their podcasts and in their businesses by using this very tool. So travischapel.com slash coaching. Head on over there and we'll chat soon. Jordo, what is up, my man? Thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the show. So glad, man. I think we've had this booked for probably three months, so I've been excited <laughs> <Yeah>. since then. <laughs> I was going to say, it's been a while. It's been a while since the conversation was opened until we're actually sitting down. But hey, you know what? We made it happen. So I think that's a win. Yeah, I, a win I for me, it. man. Like my schedule's been so crazy lately. I'm sure you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had a baby in between then and now, so it's like life, life catches up to you quick. How, how old? Uh, so I've got a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and then now he's three weeks. I think today, something like. that. Oh so. wow! Congrats, man. That's awesome. Our, our daughter, our daughter's about four months, and then our son is about two years. So it looks like the bottom two were like pretty much in sync there. So I hear you, man. That's it's uh, it's been a been a pretty crazy hectic time, but um, I'm sure a lot of other people listening to this can to late, can relate to that right now. So let's go ahead and take take it back, man. Like take it way back. Talk to me about you know twelve year old Jordan. Where like where did you grow up? What were your parents like? How was school for you? Just kind of set the scene of what it was like growing up being you. Mm. Well, my dad's a pastor. My mom's a teacher. So extremely humble beginnings. I think it's it's almost like everyone who's made it has some like bottom of the barrel type of like starting starting point. And <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you're saying pastors and teachers don't make a lot of money. It's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just I would say that like pastors are like entrepreneurs that never get paid, right? Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're like the one of the top 10, you know, like yeah, the, yeah, the disparity right. between like the top 10 pastors in the country and the bottom 5,000 is is pretty high, yeah. And, and probably the same with like entrepreneurship. It's the same like sure. yeah, wealth, the wealth gap that exists. <laughs> but I mean, I think that starting humbly gave me great skills, probably like anyone who had that same thing. I always say that the, the silver spoon I got fed from came from Goodwill. But what we learned was a lot about work ethic, right? And and working hard and and knowing I had a, a really good friend that was very well off and really exposed me to what life could be like if you, if you're one of the haves instead of a have not. And so I thought, man, if I if I really want to do more for me and for family and for community and make an impact on the world, I'm gonna have to hone in on some specific skills to make that happen. And so I have what I always called my 21 jobs growing up from being a, a paper boy to I was a sham wow salesman. I was in theater. I was a filmmaker, this host of jobs. And each skill kind of led up to where you are now. And I think for, for most people who are in that same spot, we've had several jobs that all add up. It's important to look back at those times and recognize where your skills came from and how each block just stacks to build your sure. build your empire. Sure. So. Um, yeah, family of seven, big family and and whatnot, and and recognizing that truly if you want something different from life, it's yours to have if you decide to go chase it and make that happen. Yeah. Do you think that it was something that you noticed to see that it was a matter of skills and not a matter of just, you know, flat out luck or circumstances mm -hmm. or something like that? I find that I find that that's an interesting perspective to have, especially as a, as a younger kid, to be able to look at somebody else that maybe had things that you thought were interesting or you thought were things that you wanted to potentially have one day. And instead of just saying like, oh, well, lucky for them, you decided to say, 
no, that's doable for me. I just got to figure out how. Where do you think that mentality came from? I believe in this, um, I don't know if it's official, I should probably write a book on it or something, but I call it permission theory, right? It's this concept that the only, there's only two paths for anyone to achieve anything. One is there's an actual type of a person who has synapse disconnections in their brain. It's like a Travis Pastrana, for example, like extreme athletes have these synapse disconnections where they literally don't feel fear and they'll go out and do almost anything. There are entrepreneurs that are like that, whether you're diagnosed or not. But there's like an actual like medical reason for people to live a life fearlessly. The other side is doing things based on permission, right? Where you see that person is just like me. They're not that different. And they went and did this extravagant thing. Like, why can't I do it too? Right? So by subscribing to granting yourself permission to go do that, you find that the path is not nearly as difficult as you might think. And so I, from that perspective, I think luck, you know, really favors the the prepared. So for example, we had, you know, some pretty big marketers and, and entrepreneurs kind of look at what we're doing and get really excited about it. And if we were not prepared for that, when they came in to, to check us out, it wouldn't have worked. And so when people sure. see us winning like that, they're like, oh, you got really lucky. No, I prepped myself for for five years to get to this point or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That preparation meeting opportunity is what ends up being lucky. And the way that I kind of explain it to people is it's just, it's just like how, how many out, how many at bats do you get? You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're going throughout your life and you're only going to go up and have one at bat, the odds of it being a home run are extremely low. Even if you are the best batter in the world, you know what I mean? You, like, even if you're the top of the major league baseball game, you know, like you're still batting what 300, like three out of 10. So if you only hit one, the odds are actually you're going to strike out or you're going to not hit it. Like it, it's crazy to me that people get this idea that somehow they deserve success or luck when they've tried one thing, maybe two things. And my thought was always like, well, if I just go get as many at bats as I can get <laughs> and in between each at bat, I get a little better. You know what I mean? I figure something else out. There's some other strategy that I didn't try last time that I figure out this time, or I read a book that told me this or had a mentor that taught me that. Then every time I step up, I'm getting a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And I'm increasing my odds of being able to hit that one out of the park anyway. But you know, even then, if you have five, if you have six, it's not going to be enough. And I think sometimes you got to go out and you got to go out and and uh, find where luck is hiding in order to be able to hit it because it's no doubt part of the process, right? Like getting lucky is definitely part of success in a lot of ways, especially for like more of the unicorn type companies and uh, and those types of things. Like like luck and timing plays huge roles in a lot of those things, not just hard work and perseverance and all the other things that that come along the way. Uh, but to your point, you know, I think that that people underestimate the amount of at bats that they need in order to find that lucky streak, you know? So, uh, but anyway, I, I want to go back into your story here, Jordo. So, so talk to me growing, so you're growing up and have that, that mindset shift from hanging out with, you know, somebody that, uh, that maybe had a, a family that was a little bit more well-to-do and things. Did that influence your decision-making from like high school into college in terms of like the career path that you were headed on? I think I was probably similar to most people at that age where I was not as guided as perhaps or calculated as I should have been mm-hmm. <laughs> or it kind of being indecisive, right? So I was very excited to be entrepreneurial and always had that bug, but didn't know where it was going to land. And I think that's the other thing. You mentioned the, the at-bats. It's like when you see somebody winning, it's so many of the swings and the failures, you don't see them like total like wiffle ball 
like <laughs> absolutely, you know, even in the, when they're practicing how many times they failed and people, p- people would probably not see me as, as any level of success if they knew how many times I <laughs> not only have failed, but fail on like a continual daily yeah. basis. And you just, you, you build a, a reticence, almost like a, it's like you become fearless about failure and accept that in the, in the same way that, that you would swing in a bat. Right. Yeah. So Growing up, I knew that that was going to be part of the prescription. Mm-hmm. If you want to get there, you have to subscribe that this pill you're swallowing is going to be a daily pill yeah. every single day. It's going to be for years. And I'm very much about long game. And uh, I think timing is the other part too. It's not just about, you know, swinging enough times. It's about giving something, you know, we both have young kids. Uh, people listening here probably have young kids. What, what if you demanded that they walk when they're four weeks old or yeah. two months old? You know, it's like, it's an unrealistic expectation created yeah. by the internet marketing industry. You know? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of bad eggs out there that, that, uh, convince people that it's possible to do this in 30 days and then you'll be good to go. You know, it's like, well, you kind of, you know, 30 days after doing it for five years, then 30 days can change your life and you can make, you know, a half a million dollars in 30 days. But yeah, that's going to be a few years down the road after you learn some lessons and, and, uh, and fall down a few times. So talk to me then about, you know, early career, early or early adult life. Um, what, what did that look like for you? What were you up to? I've always been extremely frugal. In, in fact, I was on a reality show. I don't actually mention this very often because it's super embarrassing. But <laughs> as context of the story, I was on a reality show called Extreme Cheapskates. And I was in the pilot episode of the show on TLC. And it was all about just because I bartered when I was younger, right? It's That's like when you don't so have, funny. you get creative and create new currency. So my currency <laughs> was bartering. And so I'd make commercials for people in exchange for, for stuff. So when we got married, we had this extravagant, amazing wedding, but it cost me about 1800 bucks total, like the whole, the whole wedding, wow. about 1800 bucks. The rest I just traded for the, the chapel, the venues, the cake, the, all these things. And so I went on this reality show to kind of teach that. And as, as reality shows do, they tend to uh, edit you into looking like a total clown. So they definitely, <laughs> they definitely did that. They ended up getting a huge run from it. And so it's still a show that goes on to, to, to today. But from that, I, I recognized that, man, you can really get anything that you want in life, right? Hmm. So all through college, I was either bartering or trading for things, starting companies, side hustles, things like that to kind of figure it out. Worked in a, I worked at a TV station uh, in Branson, Missouri. And at the time living in low-income housing, I was going to College of the Ozarks in Branson, Branson, Missouri. And it's a college where you actually work your way through instead of paying. So I was able to graduate debt-free. So it's always been about work, right? It's about yeah. like... Uh, yeah. Do do whatever you can to not have to exchange currency for goods, right? What, what um, were you studying in college? I was a theater major, believe it or not. Major. So from that, I've always been so impressed and so interested in the concept of performance, uh, especially as it relates to almost like um, like I did. I actually was was an illusionist. It was one of my jobs. I was a magician, so I traveled and did like corporate shows and that kind of stuff. Nice. And the idea about putting on a presentation that fools people or tricks people or gives them a new experience or makes them amazed or make them see the world in a different way is one of the most captivating drugs of all time. The sure. way to have people in the palm of your hand. And now, in the case that we do sales funnels or launch business, it's the same thing. All you're doing is you're you're establishing a new belief for someone and a conversion is them embracing that new belief. And that's the big, that's the big domino that has to fall. And, and from there, how many of those people can you get to believe this new thing? How helpful 
was the training that you did as a magician, uh, traveling magician. How, how helpful was that when you really start focusing on marketing? So I think most people who are entrepreneurs or you own a business, they're just not marketers, right? Yeah. So the biggest mistake you make is thinking if I build it, they will come. It's just often not the case. It just really isn't. So with that, I had I knew that I had to learn marketing in all these things. So in each thing that I jumped into, even if in high competition spaces, you can always outmarket the competition because most most businesses generally literally they they don't know what they're doing. Like mm -hmm. they start a business and they hope it's all referral marketing and it'll work out and I just have to hang in there. And but it's like, you know, you know, marketing exists. Direct response marketing can get you customers like on demand. Mm -hmm. So learning that about like who who wants, I think for me, it was the biggest belief shift for me was understanding what the end result a person wants. So they weren't hiring a magician, right? That's what a lot of magicians or even people who make movies or put on plays, they're, people aren't buying the show. They're buying the transformation or the escape that it brings for them, right? Mm -hmm. It makes, if you hire or, or, or let's say you take a, uh, your wife or spouse or whatever to a show, right? It's not the show that really gets the credit. You get the credit for bringing that person along, which is why you brought them there in the first place. You look good by bringing them to a play that does well. Same thing yeah. with a with that. And so dig a little bit deeper into the psyche of the buyer and you'll, you'll be able to find more of those buyers. So that's what I think that taught me. Okay. So coming out of theater major, right? You are doing more filmmaking at the, the early parts of your career, right? Is that what led to, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime and some of the other things that you've done? Yeah. So I, I was making commercials and I have a, a film up on Amazon Prime called Church of Felons. It's a, uh, a documentary about uh, substance abuse and life after addiction. But at the time I was putting together commercials and that taught me a lot about advertising and marketing. And then someone saw my work online, actually a direct response marketer who's working in kind of the syndicate. He saw my stuff and he said, hey, come on in and come work for us. And it was like, I was maybe making 2,200 bucks a month, maybe at this TV station, totally broke. New, newly married, government subsidized housing at the time, you know, and I, I was just living very frugally at the time. And, and they came in and hired me at like eight grand a month. And it was mind blowing to me at the time. It was like, yeah. I didn't even know that much money could be paid to a single person, right? <laughs> 20 some odd years old or whatever. Yeah. And they were doing marketing. They were doing actually high ticket affiliate marketing. I didn't even know what it was at the time. Mm. I didn't know what an opt-in page was. I had no idea what a funnel was. And so for like Wait, two what, years. What year was this? Uh, gosh, I don't recall exactly. I probably was around 2008. Okay, so pretty around like there. early on direct response days. Yeah, and and you know at the time they were, um, you know, they were very much doing like old HTML pages and like custom coding everything and and all that kind of stuff. But I literally didn't know what they were selling for like two years. Like I was making the marketing videos for them, and I didn't I didn't understand <laughs> it. So <laughs> it helps me understand when people get into marketing, like how confusing it can yeah. be you know, right. the verbiage and, and how it all works. <laughs> then as soon as it clicks for you, there's this magical moment when it clicks for you and you get it. You'll never go back to anything else. You'll never buy billboards. You'll never buy flyers. You'll never pass out like business cards or do like, you know, those types of things. You, you can literally like a faucet, turn on leads and buyers anytime that you want in direct response marketing. Yeah, Funnels and understanding your market, having a solid offer, which is so critical as well. So once I got bit by that, I was like, that's it, I'm in. And uh, it's pretty amazing. So I want to talk to you a little bit about drop funnels then. We'll get a little bit more tactical, practical um, on some things that people listening can do to, you know, tweak their offers and make them more profitable and stuff. But 
where, where did the idea for drop funnels come in and talk to me about the beginning, the early stages? Cause that's, I mean, that's, you know, where, where we are with our software company. And that to me is one of the more fascinating stages with when you're at the point where all you have is an idea and that's it. <laughs> like, where do you go from there and what do you do to make it actually like come into real life? You know? So talk to me about uh, that whole, you know, drop funnels decision-making process. So as I mentioned, you know, back then we were building these marketing systems on WordPress, right? Because WordPress mm -hmm. is a very powerful infrastructure. You can get, it solves 80 to 90% of the indexing issues that Google has by default. So you can get organic leads and sales. You can really grow your brand, domain reputation, those types of things. And so we were launching these businesses on WordPress. And then about six or seven years ago, whenever it was, genius marketer Russell Brunson comes out with ClickFunnels. I think a lot of people are familiar with ClickFunnels. And he was doing some of the same stuff before, right? He was doing hard coding mm -hmm. websites. Mm -hmm. And it was very technical, very difficult. We all were. Everyone was, was doing because yeah. there was nothing else. He came out and said, I, I need to simplify this to make it, to make it easier, right? So he yeah. launched this custom-coded platform, ClickFunnels. And finally, he brought the psychology of sales funnels to the market without the tech. And in a way, and especially in its time, was the absolute de facto uh, and still is known as kind of the category king for launching sales funnels. But it also came with, because of the technology at the time, which they have not iterated on since, since really its inception. It's yeah. the same Ruby on Rails infrastructure. There's, there's just some innate issues that come with that. There's very slow loading pages, which affects your your traffic costs. You're literally paying more when your pages load at more than three seconds. You're, you can't rank organically. There's definitely a learning curve for that. There's no actual website or domain reputation connected to it. And even in the ad networks, some of the URLs are seen as a redirect, which can actually get your Facebook accounts shut down. So mm. in a way, it solved a problem. And in the other way, it's like it abandoned everything that was powerful over here. So mm. I thought okay, we've got, and I was using ClickFunnels obviously for, for a long time as well. I realized we have the sales psychology over here in sales funnel builders. There's Kajabi, there's Kartra, there's lots of other sales funnel platforms, right? We have that, but they're custom coded and they have their own issues. We have WordPress, which solves all those technological issues, but they don't have the psychology. Mm. So I brought them together and built drop funnels. And in the last, I launched it to a beta group of maybe a hundred people, been iterating, I bootstrapped it my, myself. And last year, 2020, we grew 10.4x. We went from like about a $0 valuation. Now we're valued around 12 million, something like that. We'll look to probably 4x this year, 3x the next year, and 2x the following year, and just kind of keep, keep going from there. But the, the way that we are kind of connecting the psychology and the technology into one so that people can launch anything they want, that's the idea. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a 
a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This is what I love about the mind of an entrepreneur because what a lot of people would do is they would go look for a solution for their immediate problem and then find that solution and then just keep doing that forever. In this case, being a platform like ClickFunnels, which is still what I use for for a lot of my, of my stuff as well. Um, but you know, we're having this conversation, so who knows? Maybe I'll be on DropFunnels pretty soon. But I say that to say that I run into so many people who say, "Oh, I can't do this because it's saturated," or "I can't do this because the are, the idea has already been done," or "I can't I can't do this because like I want to do it, but there's already these other people doing it, and I you know who am I to come in and do you know X, Y, and Z?" And what I like about that story is that you saw that, you know, in, into your own admission, ClickFunnels would still be like the dominant player in the space. But instead of letting that prevent you from building something that's essentially a competitor to a, a monster like ClickFunnels, you used it as fuel to do that and used it as like the thing that was going to help propel you to success was the fact that like, oh, actually a lot of people are like, if I'm running into these problems, there are probably some other people that are running into these problems. And there's probably some room for another competitor in the space, even though there's dozens already probably that we, that neither you nor I know of, you know what I mean? Like the, you, you didn't use that as an excuse is, is what I'm trying to say is like, if, if you have an idea and you think it has legs, don't let the existence of current competitors or saturation in a market like deter you from that as long as you can prove that there's a market for the angle that you're going to attack it with, right? Like if you just went out and duplicated everything ClickFunnels did, it probably would be a failure. You know what I mean? Because you don't have anything that makes you any different. There's no angle. There's no approach. There's no niche that that allows you to corner a piece of that same market. So you're just competing against a giant for no reason, you know? But uh, But if you can do what you did and look at it from that angle of, you know what, this solves some problems, but it also leaves some other pretty big problems on the table for marketers to have to overcome. And in an age where all these other ad platforms are being saturated with ads, you know, you, you have, as a marketer, you have to find what those angles are going to be for you. Like what are going to be the things that give you a little bit of an edge over your competition? You know, even if it's not huge things, right? Even if it's not going to increase conversion by 50% or whatever, but you can pick up a point or two by doing this extra thing here and there. Like those are the things that will allow you to have that slight edge over the rest of the people who are doing everything the same way that you're doing it. So I just want to applaud you for, for looking at it from that unique perspective and then building the solution. Like you actually, like you didn't just look at it and go, oh, that'd be nice anyway, and then get back to work on whatever you were doing. It was like, oh, that'd be nice. That'd be really nice. What would that look like? Are people interested in this? Let's build it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there, there was a, a lot of work that had to go into that process and now you're able to reap the benefits. But kind of what we were talking about before is like, 
you know, it's an overnight success. Because when did you launch the beta version of Drop Funnels? Uh, January 31st of 2020. So we're just over a year old. Yeah. So quote unquote overnight success, right? Right. <laughs> by, by all... All, and no one sees what we have to go through. Like, exactly. To make, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like by, by all statistical business measures, right? Drop Funnels itself is an overnight success. To have that kind of success out of just a, a year being in business, like that's, that's something that, that just so many businesses will never see in their entire existence, let alone the first year. And uh, you were able to do that, not because of a real actual quote unquote overnight success, but because... You've taken all of the years of learning and iterating and marketing and everything that you've learned up to this point and implemented it into this new idea that you had to give it a little bit more of a, um, to give a little bit more fuel on the fire. So um, I want to talk with you a little bit because I know that you're, you know, first a marketer and then a software CEO. And uh, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, about uh, structuring your offers. This is one of the big things that uh, when people come to me, this is one of the first things that we talk about is an offer. What, like, what is your offer and what is it going to be? And, and uh, most of the time when people show me what their offer is, come to find out that it's not really an offer. It's basically just a product, you know, and there, there's a big difference between the two of those things. So can you just give us a couple of pointers, a couple of big needle movers for folks that are sitting there going like, yeah, this kind of sounds like a foreign language to me. I don't necessarily know what you mean by offer let alone how to create one. I'm really glad you brought all of that up because I think it all congeals into this this general thought that there's some verbiage in the market that you're you're a fun, you're one funnel away or it's this overnight thing or I can you'll be a millionaire shooting money out of your computer and it's just it's just this fraudulent sense of probability of success in a short time that doesn't look at what is really required to make that happen and how variable it is to really make things happen and and to get there. But as it relates to offer uh, offers, when I saw that there was, we're in an extremely red ocean, right? And, and it was when we started. But because I was in that red ocean, because I was a consumer, I was able to very quickly identify the major pain points of the market because I was that person. I was, and, and I think it's the biggest mistake that people do is they go into markets they don't understand. And the very best person to understand what your pains are is to look at your own pains and recognize that these these monstrous companies are not scary to me at all. Like I see it as fuel. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the bigger they are, the more I know they're bloated. The more I know they've I know the tech issues they have. I know the infrastructure requirements. I know there's compliance issues as it relates to, relates to offers and all that. And when you can start something small, think about it like Zendesk, for example. It's a, a help desk software. They start. They start out. They're kind of a category king uh, as well, and there's always a category king in every every space. It's usually the first to market is the category king, and they'll they'll remain there for a while. But they they get so large, they get so corporate, they get so bloated that it's tough. It's tough for them to continue to grow. They'll just plateau. Whereas when you come in and you realize I can do this better, better, quicker, faster, cheaper, more nimbly in any of these cases, that's really what your offer can can become. So when people come to us, generally, I think the biggest thing is you need to pick a lane. You need to pick a market that you're going to serve and don't go pick a, a market that you think is going to help you make money. I, I see a lot of like people come out and they say, I'm going to start a digital business. I'm going to become a, an affiliate marketer because they think that's easy. That's no less difficult than any other business you're going to launch. You just don't have to come up with the product, right? Mm -hmm. But you got to go find the people and you have to stand in the gap of opportunity to connect buyers and, and sellers. 
no business is really less difficult than any other business model. I mean, each one has its own pros and cons, but I, I always encourage people to be in alignment with your offers because it's going to fuel you every day. When you get up in the morning, are you excited to work on this business? Because A, it solves your own problems. B, it helps a lot of people. And C, you can see this as being not only lucrative for you, but something you could exit one day, get or build multi-generational wealth for you and your family and, and something that's just going to fuel you. And, and if you don't love what you're doing, I don't think you have to fall in love with, with every business you're in necessarily. Sure, Sometimes sure. you got to just have a job and get the job done. But I think that if you do love it, you'll be so impassioned by it that people will be drawn to your enthusiasm on that. So yeah. I always say, pick a lane, pick something that matters to you if you're going to be creating your own offer and solve your own problem. And when you do, you'll solve a million other people's problem. So what are, if somebody's listening, they have an existing offer and it's just not selling, what would be you know, your physician's prescription to diagnose the problem? Like, obviously, there's a wide array of possibilities that could be the answer. But what would be the process through which you would suggest learning what those things are? So there's only three, there's the, 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 the small hinges that swing a big door. So I call these the, the, the big three uh, hinges. So number one, as you mentioned with the at-bats, is there even traffic coming in? Do you have the opportunities, the swings to figure out whether or not you've actually been a failure or have you not even had a chance to be successful yet? Yeah, like have four people visited your page because that probably means that you haven't sold anything. Yeah, and probably yeah. shouldn't worry about <laughs> tweaking your offer just yet. Yeah. Have you made an offer to someone on like a consultation call or whatever, like twice and they both said no and you're calling yourself a failure? Yeah. Like come back to me when you've had 40 calls and you've made 40 offers Right, And then you're not selling. Then I could say, okay, based on what's happening, here's how we can fix it. But you aren't a success or a failure when you've had two calls and no one's bought. Or, or even if it's two calls and they did buy, you're not a success yet because you don't know if that's scalable. Yeah, anymore. like if you put it into a system that was going to spit you out success or failure and you typed out those things, all it would reply with is like, not enough data. <laughs> yeah, like non-applicable. NA, NA, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So number one is traffic, is to, is to make sure that there's enough eyeballs, enough of the market. You could be in the wrong market. I mean, let's, let's say, for example, it's out of alignment for you or it's, you have maybe like a $37 course on fitness. Maybe it's a fitness offer. It's like you could be going after Fortune 500 CEOs with a $37 fitness offer. It doesn't make any sense. They're not going to trust that you can actually help them with a $37 offer. Yeah. They're probably not on Facebook wasting time scrolling. So you're fishing in the wrong pond. Right. And it's like, instead, go after people who are just on their fitness journey with a low ticket offer, if that happens to be it. Or change it to be a high ticket offer where it's between 3 and 10K, where you can get on a call with that person, personally diagnose it. And that person can afford to work at that level, right? Mm, yeah. So it's that kind of dissonance. So number one is traffic. Two is conversions. It's the actual path. I'm the owner of a funnel company. And I'm telling people before you get like 10K, sometimes 30K in sales, you don't even need a funnel. Mm, yeah. Your funnel is a Calendly booking link and a Google Doc with your pitch listed out on it. Yeah. And go talk to your market. Get on a call. I don't care what the price is. Talk to them, find out what they need, what needs to be solved. And you literally sell back to them exactly what they said is missing in their life. And you can sell it before you even make it. Everything that we do now, we never even touch. We don't do a thing until we sell it. Mm. Once it's sold, 
then we know we have users to validate that offer, right? Yeah. So yeah. conversions is critical. And then third is really like the, the life cycle of that customer. If you've got a $37 offer, $97 offer, low ticket, what happens to them after that that can help your business be scalable? It's like, I know some people who have um, a lot of low ticket offers and the only way to make low ticket scalable, or if you're doing e-com or affiliate marketing is you have to do scale, more quantity than, 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 than quality necessarily. So once they're on your list, stay in contact with them, give them additional offers on the back end. And the only purpose of a front end offer would be to liquidate your ad spend, to have some cash flow coming in so you can finance your ads. And then what happens to them after that, right? So every business has this, there's no one immune to this model, period. And if anyone came to me, I would have those three things, traffic, conversions, and ascension. That's mm. it. Traffic, conversions, and ascension. So if something's not working with your offer, probably go take a look or in your business, then probably go take a look at one of those three things and uh, see where you need to tighten up that bottleneck. Jordan, I want to talk to you a little bit about relationships and stuff. Obviously, this is the Build Network podcast. We're talking about networking relationships, how it's kind of worked in your favor throughout your career. And um, inevitably, in every one of these conversations that I have with people that are operating on a really high level, there's evidence of relationships throughout the entire story that we've talked about. And you've already alluded to a couple of those people. But I want to ask you this question to get the conversation headed in that direction, because it's the question I've asked every guest that's ever come on the show. So who you know, or what you know, Jordan, which of those two do you think is the most important in life and why? Yeah, so I think who you know is impacted by what you know. So any networking that someone's going to do, there's almost like two different relational dynamics that I think exist. One is we are equal and the other is one is above the other. Celebrities, when you meet up with them and you're praising them and gawking over them or whatever, you're not networking with them, you're gawking over them and they're not really going to be your buddy, right? Yep. Because you're putting you're, them on a pedestal. It's like you're telling them which bucket to put you into. Yes. Immediately when you do that, they immediately put you into the fan bucket, in yep. which case there is zero chance of a continued further relationship after that. Versus the we are equals bucket, which is you're not excited to meet them. Mm -hmm. Like, it's fine. You can be respectful, which is like, hey, what's up, man? Nice to meet you. Yeah. But you're not there to get something from them. You're not there right. for an autograph. You're not there for a picture. And I, I mean, I've got to meet some of my marketing heroes through this journey, but I also don't gawk at them, you know, and, and expect them to send traffic my way or give, give me the secret sauce or like, just don't ask stupid questions, you know, and we'll get <laughs> stupid answers. Like, just treat them like a human being and yeah. you'll find that your network explodes. Right. Uh, powerful. I, I couldn't couldn't agree with that more, man. That's uh, so true. Is just treat them like a human being, just like you would meeting somebody at a bar, hanging out with some buddies. Like treat them like that. And like you said, there's absolutely no case and no reason to be disrespectful or unkind or rude or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about. It's just be genuinely you. But what I tell people is learn how to manage your reactions. Um, I think people don't ever do that in a variety of ways, not just in a networking context. This would also be, you know, if somebody pisses you off or cuts you off in traffic or, you know, whatever, like reaction management, I feel is, is a highly underrated skill that can I, uh, that can I give a model on this too? It might, yeah. it might even be helpful. So please for, for anyone who's like, I'm not sure what to say when I meet these people, right. Mm -hmm. Or how could I get into their world to not be like a fanboy, but more an equal. So here's the model that I'd prescribe to people. And I promise you, if you go do this to 10, 20 people, you'll 
end up in the good graces of some of them either, either now or in the future. Number one, you approach them not trying to get something from them, right? Reach, whether it's reach out directly or an introduction, the very best way to get into someone's world is to get an introduction by someone who knows them. True. So ask that person, hey, I know you know this person. Do you mind just introducing me? That's the immediate in the door, right? Because there's some trust built in there. So first thing, don't expect to extract something from them. Instead, do the opposite. Give something to them. So say, hey, Travis, great to meet you, man. Big fan of what you're doing. I especially liked XYZ. I love this this uh, podcast you did on this thing. Or I, I checked out your software. That's like super sweet. And you're you're genuinely showing interest in that. Number two, identify some way that you can serve them. The best way to get something ever is to kick off with a little bit of good faith equity and say, yep. hey man, I saw your software's there. I've got an audience. Do you mind if I like send this out to them or whatever? Do you mind if I promote this without an affiliate link or anything? But give that first. If I were to come to you and be like, hey, you've got the software, I want to launch it to my entire audience, you would be almost begging for a way to pay me back eventually, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Because of that. And we become friends based on goodwill between the two. Totally. I, I have a, not a real list, but a virtual list in my brain of people, you know what I mean? Who've supported what I've done from the beginning, who've always just been helpful and eager to help. And, and no matter, like I'll ask for something and they deliver it tenfold. And it's like, man, one of these days, like, I'm going to get you back, man. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have you, you know what I mean? So that, that law of reciprocity will always remain, will always remain true. And even if it's not a direct thing that comes from that exact contact, like something good is going to come back on you for the good that you continue to do. The one caveat that I would say is the way to not add value to somebody is to go ask them how you can add value to them. Yeah, because um, that's so that's, that's <laughs> the mistake that. that people make, right? Is like you, you hear you hear you know me and Jordan talking on a podcast about go add value to people. So you think like, well, I don't know how to add value. So let me just ask them because that's the best way to figure it out, right? So like you go up to somebody and you go, hey, how can I add value to you? And immediately what you've done is you've told them that first of all, I have not thought about what you do, what your needs are, or unprepared. Sort of additional research to actually figure out what you need. I want you to tell me because I haven't done the work to figure it out by myself. And then it also tells them like that question inherently has a reciprocal response required from it, if that makes sense. Like the very fact that you're asking that question tells that person that the only real reason that you want to add value to me is so that you can get something from me in the future. And anybody that has demands on their time is a busy person or well-respected person is not going to enter a relationship when it's immediately transactional from the beginning of just like, like even if people are offering me favors, man, like if it comes with a thing that they're asking for, I'm like, nah, I'm okay. Because I don't want to just owe a bunch of people a bunch of stuff because I never agreed to owe you anything. But in your mind, you think I owe you. So you're going to get all upset at me, even though we never agreed on anything. You're going to resent me because of this unspoken verbal contract that you wrote up and signed in your own brain and forgot to send my way. You yeah. know what I, mean? so, <laughs> I didn't sign that document. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So don't do that. But do add value. Do add value. You just got to do a little bit of research on your own and figure out how you can come to the table with something. And guess what? If you don't have an idea of what that is right now, the third thing that I would add to what Jordan was saying is just have some patience because it's not always the best time to connect with that person. You know, like the, I've, I've met a bunch. I, I'm, I'm friends now with a bunch of people that I've looked up to for a long time who the first time or two that I met them, they don't even like remember 
because I didn't try to do anything additional because I knew I wasn't in a great position to be able to capitalize on that and build a real reciprocal type of a like actual relationship. So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to be able to get an opportunity in another six months, in another eight months, in another nine months. Like I'm going to be able to get an opportunity to meet this person through an introduction from a, a mutual uh, friend or through a different like framing or position that makes that person view me as like we were talking about, view me as more of a peer rather than view me as a fan. Um, like, how do you get into that peer bucket? And so sometimes just about having patience and realizing that maybe right now isn't the best time. Now, don't use that as, as, an, as an excuse to never connect with people, obviously, because that can get real slippery real quick, real quick. But do understand that sometimes, you know, just might want to put this one off until we can figure out a better way to connect with them in the future or figure out the value that I'm going to add to that that relationship. So Jordan, before we we take off here, I want to go into the final round that we have for you. It's the random round, just quick Random questions, quick, random answers. You ready? Mm-hmm. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Skydiving instructor. Oh, that's a good one. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Tom Hanks. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I like to listen to both podcasts and audiobooks. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Uh, boy, that's embarrassing. I, I literally wake up when my body tells me it's time to wake up. I snuggle with my babies in the morning. We have coffee and then I get to work whenever I feel like doing that. And hey, then that's not embarrassing meetings. at all, bro. That's, that's, how, <laughs> that, that's, that's like the reason I asked that question is because we have a bunch of people on here who are super structured. You know what I mean? Like to down to the like every seven minutes, it seems like, you know. I am not in the 5 a.m. club, that's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) And we have some people that are like, yeah, sleep in, I do what I want, and then I get to work around this time. And it's like, like the point is, the morning routine is not going to be the thing that makes you successful or not. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, but it could be some tools that other people might want to use. So that's why we we tend to ask that question. Yeah, good. What is uh, your go-to pump-up song? You know, it's maybe even more embarrassing too, but I'll listen to like one of the really poppy My Chemical Romance songs. Uh, I'm not really into rap or R&B or any of that stuff, but I'll listen to like late 90s, early 2000 emo music. For some reason, that gets me going. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What is something that you are not very good at? Oh, I'm not good at like physical fitness. I've never, I've never liked it. I've never understood it. I don't know anything about nutrition or any of that stuff. I mean, so <laughs> I'm like the world's worst entrepreneur because apparently you have to wake up at five and and eat chicken and broccoli for every meal or something. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. As we get everything wrapped up here, bro, what's a fun place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? Uh, yeah, so we have a Drop Funnels Facebook group. It's a great place. It's free and um, great place to just connect on marketing ideas and, and whatnot there. And yeah, we have a, a program called the core, which helps people kind of launch audiences. And whatnot. so there's, there's a couple of different ways to go about connecting with us. If anyone wants to shoot me an email here, I'll just give them my personal email. I'm Jordan, J O R D A N at dropfunnels.com. If you just have a question or if I can support you in some way. And yeah, I mean, that's, I'm, we're, we're pretty open and open to really support anyone. Jordan at dropfunnels.com. Guys, you hear people on the show and you hear their amazing stories and then they give you their personal email at the end of the conversation for you to reach out. And yet so many of you never do. 
take advantage of these opportunities, reach out to some people, get to know them, offer some value. I promise you will not regret it. Jordan, thanks so much for coming on the show today, bro. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. This was amazing. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.